Good morning, Calvary Church. Oh, I like that. Everyone's awake today. Um, on your seat, there are Awana's cards. So part of that card, we are still looking for a few volunteers too. So if you see that and you're like, man, I want to be part of a kid's life. I want to pour into them just like we saw some of those people in the video pouring into kids. Please grab that card. Talk to Mike Riba, who is our volunteer um, coordinator for Awana's. Get a hold of him and ask him, hey, how can I get involved? However, if you are a guest this morning and you're like, I have no idea what Awanas is, this is my first time in church, you guys picked a good Sunday to be here, right? Because we are starting a brand new series called Back to Basics. I'm excited for it. I hope you guys are excited for it. Students that are up here this morning, we're kind of talking about school. So just, just bear with us. Just struggle through. Um, but we're going to be playing off of our fall calendar. We're going to be going all the way through it. Um, we're going to go through September, October, November, playing off of our school themes. So back to basics is our way of kind of digging a bit deeper and figuring out what are the basics of faith. What are the basics that we want to hold tight to? So what is back to basics? Back to basics is really finding that new love and that new, that new joy for following Christ. But before we walk down those halls this morning, I need to ask everybody a question. Who did their summer reading for this morning? Don't worry, I didn't actually give you guys an assignment. There was no summer reading to do. And I don't know if you guys ever actually had summer reading, because as I was preparing for this morning, I thought about it, and I was like, I don't think I ever had summer reading. I may have been a completely oblivious student, but I really don't think I ever had any. But I did have plenty of reading to do. The senior year of my high school career, I enrolled in this um, advanced placement classic American literature course. And I did it with a friend of mine, her name was Erin, and we hoped that in joining this class that we could maybe test out of a few college courses and save ourselves a couple thousand dollars. So if you are in high school yet this morning, listen up, that is a great thing to do. However, unlike Erin, I figured out pretty quickly that while I was a decent writer, I wasn't the best reader. <laughs> it wasn't that I didn't like reading, it was more that I didn't like reading the whole book. If you looked at my, my nightstand, at my house, I've got a stack of books that all have markers in them that mark the moment I got bored with that book and went on to the next one. But then something happened that, that, that semester. In the spring, um, both Aaron and I got to take a two-week hiatus because both of us were in our high school's French club, and part of French club was every other year we sent a trip overseas to France to kind of experience the culture and test our language skills. Um, I was excited for this. It was going to be a great opportunity, but there was one, one hiccup with this. We were all made abundantly clear that we had to complete all of our assignments and have them submitted on time, regardless of our, our time away. And that included all of, the, all of our, our reading. So we started reading books like George Orwell's 1984. We read through um, The Great Gatsby and Joseph Conrad's um, The Heart of Darkness and many, many other texts. But the text that we had to read through for this, while I was gone on this trip was A Tale of Two Cities. And I was kind of excited by the book because a few years prior to that, I had been to London, one of the cities in A Tale of Two Cities. And the other was Paris, which is in France, which was where I was going. So I was pretty excited for this. So I sat down on the plane and I started reading. And it said this, the very first page. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. How many of you guys are able to recite this with me now? It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, and it was my spring vacation. 
I was not going to read any more of that book. And that's about right where I stopped. And unlike Aaron, I did not finish the text. I did not do my summer reading. I didn't read the book. However, the very wise and sagely high school student version of myself thought, well, I am a decent writer, and I've been to both of these cities now, so surely I can complete any prompt that come, comes my way with at least a C average. So the prompt came, and I wrote my heart out, and I got a big red letter F. Just hard F. And I clarified with my teacher, I was like, his name was Mr. Sweat. Mr. Sweat, terrible name for a teacher. Mr. Sweat, he was a wrestling coach, so maybe it fit. Was this like a 0% F or a 35% F? Because 35% is like, well, at least I got credit for trying, right? No. He was like, you didn't do anything. You got a zero. And I was like, oh, it was the worst. Erin, however, being the exemplary student she was, she read the whole text, and she aced the prompt, and she got an A. I feel like that is such a familiar story for the whole idea of summer reading, that there are those of us that are devoted to the whole process. We want to read every last word, we want to read every book, and we thrive to our teacher's delight. And then there are those of us that that's not really quite the case, that we, we do some of the reading, if any of the reading at all, and then when the day comes that we end up back in school, we kind of hesitate, like, oh, I hope I make it through the day. But then there are those of you that read everything, and you're like, you can't wait for class to start. You're the person that when the teacher almost forgets about an assignment, you're like, hey, didn't we have an assignment today? And everyone else gives you daggers. <laughs> and that's the story. I think that's the story for summer reading. And as I was preparing, I was thinking, how similar, though, is that sometimes to our pursuit of Christ? That it would seem, and it would really seem this way, that there might be people in this room that man, they've got it down pat. They got everything right. It seems like the Lord has doled out an extra blessing of favor onto their lives. And it only seems that way. But the, and then there are those of us that we kind of struggle with, with our faith. We kind of like hesitate to really engage in what Jesus wants us to do. Can I tell you a secret? We all hesitate with summer reading at some point in our lives. We all hesitate with engaging in the things Jesus wants us to do. Why? This is because we all fall short of God's A-plus standard that he showed us in Christ. Jesus was an A-plus, and we struggle meeting up to that goal. It's like there's this massive bell curve, and we can't quite get to the top of it. And if you want, like, a scripture for that, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that sometimes we struggle with completing faith the way that Jesus wants us to engage in it. Even the best of Jesus' students actually struggled with following him in doing what he had called them to do. So what does Jesus call us to do? That's a great question because we can't answer it if we don't know. If you have your Bible, and you should because it's church and we should bring our Bibles here, open it up. And if you have a phone, crack that open too. We're going to be looking at Matthew 28, verse 16 this morning. This is where we're going to spend most of the day. After Jesus came back from the death, from death, he, he, in doing so, he signaled that like, he can conquer anything. By conquering death, by dying for us and coming back, Jesus was in fact saying, there is nothing in this fallen world that I can't overcome. But after he did that, he spent some time with his disciples, with those closest people, those closest mature friends in faith that he had. And he spent some time with them proving that he was indeed back from the dead. He walked with them, he talked with them, he let one of them, Thomas, actually stick his finger and poke around in, in Jesus' wounds just to prove it. And my favorite part is he actually ate in front of them. They're on the edge of, 
edge of the sea, and they all sat down to have a fish dinner, and Jesus starts eating, and I imagine all the disciples watching to see if, like, as the fish goes in, does it drop all the way through, or does it actually stay inside them? Because Jesus came back from the dead. Like, there are not many people that can say, yes, I came back from the dead. Jesus was one of them. And most of the others, Jesus was part of bringing them back from the dead. So Jesus was there. He's like, I am actually here. Let me give you some proofs. But beyond these proofs, Jesus encouraged them to continue doing the work that he had originally came to do. And that was tell that the kingdom of God is here, that the Messiah has come, that he is the champion of sin, that he had come to lead us, bring us to restoration in this life and the life to come, and to open the gates of heaven for us, that there is now a way to spend eternity with Christ. And one of those first conversations that Jesus had with his disciples about this is in Matthew 28. Um, chapter 28, 16 to 20. So I'm going to start reading there this morning. If you want to follow along, please do. And if you don't have a Bible or if you don't have a phone, it's going to be up on the screen. So Matthew 28, 16 through 20 says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm going to pause right away here. Last week we talked about how sometimes when you're reading scripture you want to do a little digging and figure out what some of the words really mean because Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, what the Bible is all written in, is a little bit different than English today. And when things get translated, sometimes we miss some of those tender nuances that scripture has for us. And this word doubted here, we can read it really plainly and say, man, they doubted that Jesus was even real. They doubted that he was God. But that's not really the quite of doubt, the quite doubt Matthew is intending to tell us that these disciples struggled with. It was more of like hesitation, that like some of us doing our summer reading, these disciples were slow to engage in that Jesus was really in front of them. They may have thought things like, I want to worship, but like, is that just an imposter? Is, that can't really be Jesus. Do you guys see this? Like, that looks just like Jesus. They were slow to bow down and worship him because they weren't quite sure if everything Jesus had told them was really true. They hesitated to engage with it. Matthew continues. It says, then he says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. After years of following Jesus, there were three basic things, three simple things that Jesus wanted his disciples to do. Most scholars and teachers think that this verse applies to us today too, that there's, it's not only a command, but it's also an invitation. Jesus is inviting us into something. We'll get to that in a little bit, but let's just assume that for now that that is true, that it is an invitation. The first basic thing that Jesus told his disciples to do was that they have to go. Here at Calvary Church, Pastor Randy mentioned it this morning, we like to say serve the world because we aren't meant just to be in this building. We have to go outside of it. We have to go to all nations. And I think if this is a command, let's consider Jesus maybe like our coach. And I think he would have been a really intimidating coach because he starts it out like this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What a way to open. If your football coach were to say, I am the beginning, end, and everything on this field. You need to listen. That would make me shake. I would quit football right away because, one, I don't like running, and, two, I don't want this guy to beat me up. 
but it's really kind of weird sometimes to think of Jesus as being an intimidating coach because we hear things in scripture all the time like there was a joy that followed Christ that caused children to want to be near him there was a peace about him that caused people that were sick lonely hurt and like discouraged to want to come to him there are things about Jesus that want us that we that drew people to him but on top of that we a lot of times we call him things like our comforter our prince of peace and a lot of times we even refer to him as the lamb of God all very soft and not intimidating terms but let's not forget this don't forget that this is the same man that shouted at a storm to shut up it was moving it was loud and Jesus wanted to sleep and he said knock it off and the storm quieted that's intimidating this is the same Jesus that went into the temple and when he found people stealing from God doing vendor or being vendors to try to make extra money in religious practices he flipped over their tables and said get out of here and then he braided a whip which was a weapon and drove them out of God's holy place and when Jesus died the earth trembled the earth shook this is not only the prince of peace but he is also the lion of judah lions were at that time guys there are so many things in our world today that are scarier than a lion but at that time a lion coming towards you was god's like created element of death there was nothing that could stop lions they were intimidating and that's what we a lot of times in scripture we call Jesus the Lion of Judah he is a big ferocious champion so when Jesus tells us to go we need to go it's a coach's command execute the things I have trained you for I feel like this statement is Jesus way of saying I am in total control I've got it all taken care of above below and beyond you do not need to worry because I am in control of this world what is he in control of what is he commanding us towards why did he exercise authority he exercised the authority because he wants us to go he doesn't want us to sit um, um, placent he doesn't want us to stay in the same spot he conquered the he conquered death for people Jesus ties his authority to it, this immediate action he gave this order that we can't opt out of Jesus doesn't want his story his record of events his life his death his resurrection for us to be just for a select few he wants it to be for the world the phrase nations here too if we're going to look at another word it doesn't have a purely geographic connotation it's not just a place it's nations it's people Jesus's concern was more about the people in this world than the places in this world because Jesus hasn't called us to be a very courteous band of sightseeing people He's called us to invest. That's why it's people. He doesn't want us to just be bystanders in this world. He wants us to invest in those that are in it. And that is the second basic thing that Jesus wants us to do is invest. At Calvary, we say love each other because love each other is an investment. And that's not just people in this room. That's people outside. And Jesus said this with the same authority that he called us to go. He called us to make. He called us to make disciples, to teach them and baptize them of the things that he has taught us. I think a lot of time we hope that, at, that um, disciples, which are those people that we would consider, I think a lot of us in this room, we would consider ourselves disciples. That's a phrase we use in the church a lot of time for matured believers that follow the things Christ has called us to. I think a lot of times as churches, we hope 
that just in being here and being, being present, that discipleship, that growth just kind of happens. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, go out into the world and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. That's not an invitation. That, that's an investment. And let me, I want to tell you this too before we continue, that inviting people to church is a good thing. But it's not the full thing that Jesus wants us to do. He hasn't called us to go out in the world and hand out flyers that Jesus is here. And he hasn't called us to that because I believe that Jesus believes we're capable of more. We are capable of more than just extending an invitation into a building. We're capable of developing people. We're capable of investing in people. Think of your own experience with Christ and coming to faith. How did it happen? I mean, there are a few of us in this room that I guarantee you, some of us were invited to church, we just kind of showed up, and it made sense to us, and then we just kept going back. But what about the furthering of your faith? What about the real growth to understand the fullness of who Christ is? That happens because someone invests into you. I could rattle off a bunch of names right now of people that have invested into my life. I know that there are stories from Calvary South to Calvary, Calvary North over here of stories of people who have invested into your lives and taught you the things that Christ has taught them. That's what we're supposed to do in each other's lives. That's what Christ has called us into. Discipleship is a hands-on investment. It's an investment that's confirmed by baptism, and it is made publicly complete when we do that, and discipleship is finished when we as believers start to invest in someone else. This next part, like, forgive me if I stumble through it because I couldn't figure out a very concise way to make it happen, so I'm going to do my best. The investment Jesus is talking about looks like this. I invest into somebody. They understand Christ. They understand Christ called us to invest into others, so they invest into somebody. And that person is invested into, they are taught the things that Jesus has told us to teach them, and they understand who Christ is, and they understand that it's not just for me, that it's for someone else, so they invest further. This is the sort of invitation I'm I mentioned earlier. That discipleship continues, investment continues. That's why this verse here is an invitation. Because it was for the original 11 that Jesus had, that Jesus had see him, and it furthered after that. Is it really that simple? Is spreading the kingdom of God really that simple? I think it is, because what started with 11 has turned into 2.2 billion believers in this world today. That is an incredible number, but that also shows us that we're not done that there is more work that Christ has called us to, that we need to invest deeper into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our jobs, into our churches, into our cities. There is more to be done. And you might be thinking, I don't know if I can do that. That's a lot of pressure. You know, I'm, I'm just one person, and you're expecting me, make pastor, to, to try to reach out to like 20. Let's just start with one for starters. Let's start with one. But you might also be thinking, I don't know the Bible enough. What, what if I say something wrong? What if I push them away from church altogether? You know, all these hesitations that I'm having really kind of prove that I'm not good enough to do this. If that was your last thought, if your thought right now is, I'm not good enough to invest into other people so that they understand Christ, you're absolutely right. We're not good enough. None of us are. And that's the last basic part of what Jesus has called us into, is that we need him. On our own, we can't accomplish this. 
You know, verse 17, sometimes we miss the context of this text entirely. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some hesitated. Some hesitated. These are Jesus, this is the best of the best. These are, these are the people that Jesus spent three years with, and they still hesitated to engage in what Jesus wanted them to do. You know, the, these 11 here, a quick survey shows us that we have Peter, who violently chopped somebody's ear off. We've got Thomas, who wouldn't believe until he started digging around in Jesus' open wounds. That's painful and really gross, but that's what took Thomas to understand. Then we have, um, we have um, John, who like wrestled with ferocious anger all the time. We have Simon and Jude, who were nationalists and didn't want anything special except Israel to, to prosper. And then we have Philip, who was a notorious pessimist. These are the best of the best that Jesus picked. So when you feel like, I'm not good enough, don't worry. You're in good company. We are all in good company here. And this is the group that saw Jesus. A group of dissenting, prideful, whatever title you want to put on it. This is the group that saw Jesus. They could see him, so that meant Jesus could see them. That meant he saw who they were. He saw what they struggled with. He saw their past. He saw that they even had recent doubt of whether or not it was really Jesus entirely. They were slow to believe all that they were told that was true. That Jesus was really back from the dead. That Jesus had conquered the death. And that the, and he was really the only way, the truth, and the life. They struggled with that. And that's okay. Because notice, notice that Jesus didn't separate the group. He didn't say, okay, you guys who worship me, go stand over here because I got a special project for you. And you that doubted, go over there because we got work to do. He didn't say that. He invited them all. He didn't tell a few of them to go get their act together. He didn't tell them to be full of perfect faith. He talked to them all, commissioning or choosing or sending every last one of them for the road ahead. Regardless of their readiness, regardless of their past, regardless of even their recent doubt, he called them all to go make, all to go teach, and all to go baptize. Jesus believes we're capable of this. And our hesitation, he makes up for it in being with us. How? Because Jesus said, and surely, be sure of, be confident in, that I am with you always, to the very end of the age, forever and forever and forever. I will not leave you. That was the last thing he told them as he commissioned them, as he wanted them to go. But you see, we can't, we can't complete this work without him because it was his work to begin with. Jesus served the world first by coming down from heaven as an infant to serve us. He loved us all. No matter our story, he died on the cross in our place. Why? Because he wanted to know us. He knew that our sin would keep us separated from him and he didn't want it to be held against us when we, we get to that day where we can come join him in heaven. Regardless of our readiness, we need Jesus to complete what he started. We can't make him known in this world if we don't know him. We can't love each other well if we don't know what being loved by him looks like. And we can't serve the world like him if we've never been served by him. This is it. This is it, guys. Like, in terms of getting back to the basic of basic of things of faith, this is our starting point. We need Jesus. If we don't rely on him, guys, we are going we are going to serve the world about as well as I did on that A Tale of Two Cities paper. If we don't have him, we're not going to serve the world well. We're not going to love the world well. 
I thought that because I had been where the story took place that I could make it by. That we, and we can't do the same with our faith. We can't just make it by in our faith. We need Jesus to make our faith. Without doing the summer reading, without knowing Jesus, we can't finish what he has called us to do. Because, it, like I said, it was his work to begin with. He's joining us. He is inviting us into it. That's why he has called us. He has called us powerfully because his world is this world. Randy mentioned um, earlier in service that there are many churches that might be closed. Randy, you're getting a lot of shout-outs today. There are many churches that are closed right now with the hurricane. God's, God does not close down. He does not close down in this world. So when Jesus came and said, I have the authority of all of heaven and on earth, he is saying, I am not closing. When the world fails you, I will still be there. When he says, and surely I am with you always, that is his way of assuring us that his office hours are 24-7. That when we are going in the world and we want to serve and we want to love and we're like, I don't know if I can do this right. When we look back to him and say, Jesus, are you with us? He says, yes, I am with you. And then we go. It was his work to begin with. We need him to do it with us because he assures us of where we're going and that he is indeed still active in it. For back to basics, guys, we need to recognize this, that we need Jesus. If we want to serve the world, if we want to love each other, we need him to do it well. We need him to do it. The first scripture I read this morning said that we fall short of God's grading curve. That on our own, the best we can accomplish is a red letter F. And that, that hurts to say. But we say that because there is selfishness in us. There are desires we have that aren't the desires of Christ. Some of us, we struggle with addiction. Some of us, we struggle with whatever thing in your head right now. You're like, oh yeah, that's what he's talking about. That's the thing. That's why we can't grade perfectly. Because we have those things in our lives. God's A-plus standard was shown to us in Jesus. Jesus was fully God. He was fully man. He was perfect. He was 100%. And when he accepted death on the cross, it was his way of being able to swap grades for us. He took our red letter F, our 0%. We didn't get a participation grade. Jesus takes that and he says, here's my A. I'm giving this to you. And that's unfair that is completely unfair. But he willingly and unfairly took that F. We were given the A, and that is why we need Jesus. Because if we have ever, any hope of passing this life and into the next, it is in the goodness and grace of Jesus. If we have any hope of completing what he's called us to do well, we need him. We need that A. And we're never going to score right on our own. At the beginning of service, too, I mentioned that when it comes to summer reading, there always seems to be two groups of us. Those of us that did the reading, that have been in school for a while, that love it, and those of us that have hesitated. To those of you guys that have been here for a while, for those of you that, you know, feel like you've done your summer reading, that you understand who Jesus is, you understand this great commission, this calling of us to go do something, you understand this top to bottom, if you feel like you're like, yep, Pastor, I did my summer reading. I've got a challenge for you. Find someone to mentor. Be out in this world. Do more than be a passerby. Because that's, that's, that's incredibly important in this. 
if we want to see our world come to know Christ, if we want to be the world changers in our communities, I, I say it every week and I say it every week, in Lamont, in Lockport, Orland Park, in Homer Glen, Bolingbrook, Downers Grove, wherever you come from, if you want to make a kingdom impact there, we do it by investing. We invest, we love each other well, and we need Jesus to do that. Because I know, if I ask, how many of you guys have someone that's hard to love, we can all throw a hand up at that. That's why we need Jesus, because he loves those that are hard to love. And that's who we are supposed to reflect. So that's my challenge to you. If you're like, man, I've done my summer reading, Pastor. I know this stuff. That's your challenge. Invest in somebody. Whether it's in our church, that you, you, see, you look at them, you're like, man, I've been where they're at. I see the life they're living. I've been there. But I know that Jesus has called me to greater than that. Mentor them. Invest in them. Love them. Ask them out to coffee. Bring them into your home. Spend time with them. That's the investment. Because sometimes we think about investment, let's think about it this way, like a school project. And that's a dangerous thought because school projects involve what? Glitter and glue. And those things get messy. It involves following a very strict set of directions that you have to cut excess off. And it takes time. It's the same way with this investment into people, that sometimes there are messy glitter glue things in people's lives. Sometimes there's excess that God has equipped you to help them cut out of their lives to remove burdens. We are all a project to be worked on, and Christ wants to make us a finished project. And that's why he gives us that A. So church, if you've done your summer reading, invest. But for those of us in this room, and I know there, there always seems to be, if there are those of you here this morning that are like, man, I am completely new to church. I have no idea what you're talking about. Thanks for trying to explain it as best as you can, but I didn't even know we had an assignment today. If you're in that group, or if you're in the group of, you know, I have been here for a while, but I recognize that I am not engaging. I am hesitating like those few disciples. I've got stuff going on that's keeping me from living the life that Jesus has called me to live. I challenge you this morning, in a few minutes, the band's going to come up and we're going to move into a time of offering. When they come up, we're going to have a time where it is just you, the words, and the band. Take that time and use that to commit yourself to what Christ has called you to. Use that time to say, God, I recognize that my life is kind of like, it's a 0% F. I'm kind of getting this, this red letter here. And I'm hearing this morning that you have an A-plus for me over there. Help me turn to you and grab that. Help me commit to living a life that follows you so that I can have that assurance that and when the day comes that you come back, that I'm going to be with you. Because I don't want to keep failing in this life. I want, the full, I want the full letter grade. If that is you this morning, if you are in that boat where you've been never here before and you're recognizing and loving what you're hearing, or if you've been slow to engage in your faith, Make this morning different. Make this morning the morning you say, I'm going to do my summer reading. I'm going to engage with, God, with, with what God wants me to do. I'm going to make it all the way. I want that A+. If that is you this morning, please, please do that.